Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Reservations, and I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm Nesbitt Speckledorf. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, you said Nesbitt, and all I could think of was Toy Story. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, <laughs> this is not a joke. Um, Haley, uh, my wife. Uh, one of her favorite movies of all time is Norbit. It's not a joke. And oh, uh, and uh, Respucia, when they're younger, <laughs> uh, she goes, you got a girlfriend, Nesbit," And so that's where she gets the <laughs> Nesbit from. Oh, anyway. Nesbit. Yep. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. So, J- Jeremy, we have two very special guests with us today. We do. Tell them. Oh, I have to tell them. Oh, okay. Um, if you guys remember, we've had these guys on the show before. We have our good buddies, Zach and Alex, with us today. What's up? Glad to be here again. Nailed it. <laughs> I am a professional. Like, we all are. <laughs> it's, like, it's like introducing... Um, it's like introducing your girlfriend to your parents for the first time because it's like it's really early in the relationship. So you're like, this is my girlfriend. <laughs> Say hi. Hi, Mr. Wayland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we're meeting. We're meeting Mr. Wayland first. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's, oh, that's good. And then, and then he has to be like, no, Mr. Whalen was my father. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that was good. Uh, well, welcome back, boys. Uh, mm. You know, today is, I feel like, going to be a really exciting episode. Uh, would y'all agree? Yeah. Now, Absolutely. Because uh, you finally have two good podcast hosts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> A good point, Alex. Thank God. Thank God. I know we have yeah. professionals. Um, yeah. Finally. Yeah. And, well, well. Zach and I are very busy, but we're happy to grace you. <laughs> yes. That's right. Are studios, uh, yeah. Agree. Um, but wait, if if you guys are on, who's listening to the podcast? Oh my God, that's a really good point. Uh, You're well, gonna have a drop in listenership. <laughs> I'm gonna listen to it more now because I'm on it. Ah, so good. You're so you're welcome. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> um, you know what was cool about this is that both of you independently. Uh, sorry, my wife is yelling at the cat. Um, both of you independently asks asked to be on this episode specifically about this movie. Um. I don't, I don't remember who said it first, but I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, we'll have the guest on. And then I th- uh, the other I think one. It was, was well, I think it was Zach first because okay. I, I think I think you told him after we did the whale uh, last season that we were going to do Locke this season and he wanted to be on it. Of course. And then Alex mm-hmm. asked us he wanted to be on this season. And so we sent him our list and, and then Alex said, yeah, I want to do Locke. <laughs> like, and, okay. Yeah, and we're not going to tell him no. No, of course not. He's too busy. We we can, we can get him. You know, we 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 can get him when we can. All right. 
Yeah. I'm 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 your your white whale, Moby Dick. <laughs> wow, a lot of yeah. callbacks to Fraser today. <laughs> oh <laughs> well uh well Jeremy, since I, I introduced the boys uh and I've already said the movie, but what are we talking about today? Uh today? Uh we're uh discussing the 2013 Stephen Knight film Lock. Uh, starring Tom uh, Hardy and some voices. Some might surprise <laughs> you if you didn't look it up already. So um it's exciting stuff. And what's really interesting is that um just a little uh, fun fact just between, you know, us is that uh, when I met Zach for the first time, uh, I don't remember where we were. Um but it was when I was living in Lubbock. I had met Zach and for some, somehow we got into the discussion of movies again. I don't really know anyone there. I think it was for uh, Keegan's like it was some sort of party with Keegan. We were outside. We were like at a place at a restaurant or something. And uh, we I started talking to Zach and um, Locke was brought up like almost immediately. Like, have you seen this movie Locke? And we were both like, oh, my God, Locke is so good. And we were just talking about that for about, I don't know, 15 minutes. Um, and that was when I met Zach for the first time. So, fun fact. <laughs> well, and another good fun fact, as we just learned, I'm the only one who hadn't seen this movie prior. Gives you a really cool perspective. So don't sell it short. Yeah. Well, uh, Jeremy. Since this is your pick, you get to do the synopsis because doing the Dark Knight synopsis last week was um, that was not fun. No, <laughs> no. Uh, so um, the movie takes place primarily or almost entirely in a I think it's a BMW X something. It's a SUV. Anyway, um, uh, Ivan Locke is driving to a hospital to see a woman deliver their baby. All right. This woman is not his wife, as we will find out through a series of phone calls. Uh, not only is he struggling with having to basically tear his family apart while he's driving to uh, see his newborn illegitimate child, but he's also having to deal with uh, fixing and sort of facilitating the job that he is still technically in charge of, which is a massive concrete pour for this building that they are building uh, and that he is in charge of. And so this film is just a series of phone calls as he's trying to facilitate all of his responsibilities and try to juggle them all at the same time. Also, while trying to maintain a sense of self-ownership and responsibility and trying to come to terms with doing the right thing, even if it's going to tear his life apart. Um, and that's Locke. So, that's uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as we were kind of talking about off mic, and as I just mentioned, I'm the only one here who hadn't seen this prior. And uh, like I mentioned to you off mic, um, this was not what I was expecting. Like I knew it had Tom Hardy in it and that's, that's all I knew. You know, I'd seen the poster for it. Uh, and 
like Zach asked me off mic. I hadn't seen the trailer. I went in completely blind. And honestly, I'm I'm glad I went in completely blind because, again, this was not what I was expecting. And it it did not disappoint at all. So which so which part were you not expecting? Was it the just one person in a car? Was that what you weren't expecting? Yes. Um, I I didn't look up any of the cast. Um, I I apologize if everyone can hear that. I don't know why. Uh, it's Otis. I can tell it's Otis. He's freaking out. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be one person in a car. I figured out mm, three of the voices without looking them up. Uh, which we'll get to. Um, <laughs> uh, well, mainly because we'll get to it anyway. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't expecting it just to be Tom in a car uh, driving. I was not expecting that at all. Um, I knew a car, this is going to sound really dumb, but I knew a car played some sort of role considering the poster has him in a car so i was like okay something to do with a car or driving or something um but that's all i knew um and honestly it that was really cool that it it's just him in a car yeah i was the i was the exact same i remember i was probably like 20 25 minutes in and i'm like it just clicked for me i was like okay this is this is probably going to mostly take place like this. Um, and uh, I, I remember just being like super interested in that, in that idea, uh, like that experiment or whatever to decide to do it that way. Um, but it, it definitely took me probably like 20 minutes and I was like, okay, well, we're still in the car and uh, just get ready to just kind of be here like a passenger. Um, so I was, I was the same rain. Yeah, that's the main reason why I wanted to be on this episode was because it's such a weird approach to a movie. It's like a like a one man play almost, mm-hmm. and you know it hasn't really been done very often. Like really, the only one I can think of is Buried with Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. You guys have seen that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one is pretty yeah. claustrophobic and intense, and this one, you know. He's only in a car, but, you know, he at least gets shots, you know, outside of the car. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, yeah. Yeah. So kind of kind of the same to bounce off of you, Zach, is, yeah, I was like, okay, like he's driving, but I'm sure here in a second we'll cut to wherever he's driving to. Um, and then. when it clicked for me, I was like, okay, I actually don't want to see where he's going now. I I just want this to keep going. Like I, uh, I really like, I love that the, the movie is really not short necessarily, but it is only an hour and 20 minutes. I it's like, I want another 40 minutes of him just driving and talking on the phone. Yeah. You know, I I think, 
For me, I must have known. I don't really remember. I must have known this is what this was going into it already. I probably saw it on some list somewhere of like minimal production films. I, I think at this time I had already seen Buried for sure. And I may have already seen All is Lost. And so I, which is an awesome Robert Redford film, if you guys haven't seen it. It's just him on a boat and it's awesome. Um, and mm-hmm. so I was probably looking for something similar to that. And blown away, right? Obviously, um, I'm sure like all of us, about just how how Stephen Knight was able to keep us in, entertained in a way, or at least not be so so static, like in the car, right? I mean, we're yeah. moving in in the car, moving out of the car, we're getting wide shots, we're getting close ups. Um, we're looking we're, at it's a really dynamic shoot for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and and I did a little reading, and because I was curious, I was like, I wonder if he was like actually talking to the other actors on the other end, and I read that yeah, he actually was. So, like mm-hmm. the conversations we were essentially hearing. I mean, yes, it was scripted, but we were hearing them in real time and them playing off of one another and. And I feel like that just adds so much. And I think that's, again, Jeremy, kind of what you were saying. I think that's why it works so well and why we're not bored with just being in a car. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. I um, And also, I mean, just the way they shot it is sort of unconventional, which is doing it in one take twice a night. You know, I didn't see for how long, but um, yes, and just run through. how many times? 16. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think they did it in like two weeks. I think they only had like two or three weeks. Yeah. That's impressive. I mean, yeah. And to, I'm sure he got over that cold eventually because they writ, they wrote it into the script that he had a cold because Tom Hardy really had a cold and I'm sure he had to pretend to have a cold at some of those times. Um, just for continuity's sake. Right. Um, but I mean, Tom Hardy gets most of the praise here, but I think also the voice casting uh, from everybody else, um, Mm -hmm. I think especially for Olivia Coleman, Andrew Scott uh, specifically, I think Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Scott's a little bit more, I think in the, um, in the consciousness right now as we're recording this for um, his new movie, that's getting a whole bunch of buzz right now. But um his voice yeah, was, was un, undeniable. I was such a huge fan of Sherlock when I saw this mm-hmm. um, that immediately I was like, that's Moriarty right there. What are we doing? You know? Yeah. I was just about to say, I was like, man, people are going to like Andrew Scott's so hot right now. <laughs> um, <Yes>. But <laughs> but yeah, you know, so I, 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 fi- I figured him out pretty quickly because, yeah, just like yourself, I'm a big fan of Sherlock. And his his Scottish draw is very unique. And I was like, that's that's Andrew Scott. And then, I, yeah, I figured out Olivia Coleman. And, you know, the third one I figured out, I'm sure you can guess. Go ahead. Tom Holland. There's no way. <laughs> that's fine. No, I did. <laughs> I don't. Uh, believe it. It's fine. No, I 100% knew that was Tom Holland before. Before I even looked up who who else was on the other end of his phone, uh, phone calls. Huh. Congrats, so Tom Holland and Tom Hardy. So this is like a um, 
Spider-Man multiverse. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> like in the intro. Venom is Spider-Man's dad. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, Venom cheated on, <laughs> on Spider-Man's mom, or Aunt May. <laughs> and this oh, one Jesus. just happened to be in in the UK. That's right. Um okay. So we've been talking a lot about the shoot. I think we need to talk about I mean cuz I mean it's front and center but I think we need to talk about the character of Ivan Locke and this very interesting character because the whole time I was watching it kind of like what you're saying Jeremy in the synopsis is he wants to do the right thing and he wants to be responsible while juggling all these other things Um, and it's it was hard maybe and again that's the benefit of doing the show is maybe we can figure out in a safe space um (laughs) If he's a good person or not, because to be honest, I'm leaning more towards he's not. I, I think 100% he's a good person. I, I don't think that's up for debate. I think that um, when he says that this was a mistake and he acted so, so outside of himself and so out of character for himself, he's being completely genuine. He's a man mm-hmm. of very strict principles. Um, mm-hmm. He's a man who takes ownership of things that he is responsible for. And he obviously has childhood trauma with his father, right? And so this mm-hmm. being hitting so close to home for him, having this, the even the opportunity to just wash his hands of the situation and you know, leave uh, Bethan alone with this child is just unacceptable because he knows what it meant for him not to have a consistent father figure, right? And that's mm-hmm. when we get these sort of Shakespearean monologues in the car. Um, him talking to his his dad in the back seat. Um, of course, he, of course, he's a good person. I, I think that he's this is completely genuine, and he is trying to right a wrong. And again, with his principles and with his ownership of responsibility, he'll he'll do anything for this honesty, right? He'll do anything to maintain his principles are secure and intact. Okay. Uh, trying to trying to figure out. Uh, here's some, someone else. Go. I'm still trying to. I'm trying to ruminate with that real quick. So I think I think Ivan definitely has a lot of integrity. You know, he uh you know, he's taking yeah, responsibility for what he's done, right? He talks to to Gareth and he's he's vulnerable with him about what's going on. Obviously he tells Katrina um on a phone call with her. It it is, you know, time has has gone by though. So there there's been months that have gone by. Um but the baby's born prematurely and so that kind of maybe delays his plan of however he had planned on doing it. So like he tells her now he's having to do it. Um, and the baby's coming tonight. So I've got to be there. I think there's just, and then just throughout all the other interactions, um, or phone calls, you just get to see that Ivan is a man that has integrity. Um, but I think something that kind of 
maybe echoes like uh, really Ivan is when he's explaining to Donald about the difference, uh, how important it is to get the C6 and there's some C5 and he's talking about the foundation. And if it's a little bit off, you know, what is like a quarter inch higher or whatever, eventually it's going to crack and then it's going to, you know, building's going to fall down and collapse. And so like what, what the struggle, I think it's still for me, um, watching it and like coming to my conclusion about Ivan is that he is a good person. He has, uh, certainly has like a moral compass, has, has integrity, has ownership of, of his decisions, but his decision to, um, you know, sleep with Bethan, um, was, was a decision. It would be the same as putting that C5 in with the C6. And, uh, it was just a, a decision that is causing everything to crumble and collapse. And so as I feel like as a viewer and as somebody as that's a part of all of this going on, because it really does kind of feel like you're just sitting awkwardly listening to this man try and take care of all this chaos. Um, it's all falling apart and it's really conflicting to, uh, cause I think I can understand Katrina's anger. Um, and I can also understand, um, Ivan's response to, to what he's done and, and can see, um, really good ownership and, and trying to want to figure out what it looks like for him to restore um, what he has, you know, broken and what has kind of fallen apart. And so I think it is really conflicting though, to uh, because what he's done and, you know, what makes it so hard too, isn't just Katrina's reaction, but his reaction when he's talking to his kids, because like, he's, he's emotional you can see that it breaks him. You, you tell, you know, that Eddie's hurt and Sean, both of them. Um, but especially Eddie on that second call when he's under the duvet, um, it's just, that also just adds so much weight to like what he has done to his family. Um, and that's, I think really conflicting as a viewer on, uh, trying to figure out how you feel about Ivan, um, and what he's done. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Cause, cause yeah, I, I, I fully agree. I was like, you know, this is, this isn't something I feel like we've seen in film uh, of someone, you know, owning up to a mistake. Um, or at least someone who's so adamant about owning up to a mistake, especially cause we get sort of, I'm assuming sort of like a bait and switch at the beginning where he, I'm assuming was going to go home, but then that that's when he decides to drive to uh, London um, to be with Bethan. It's just, I think, I think I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around. <laughs> uh, still that, that, that makes him a good person. Um, I mean, I, I think we also have to look at his reaction to Katrina's reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows he made a mistake. He's owning up to it. And he, you know, he knows that telling her over the phone is not the best option, but that's the only one he's got at the moment. And he understands that, like, this is devastating news. You know, and so he lets her have that emotion while, you know, giving her some space and not, you know, you know, she hangs up on him multiple times. 
And yeah, he like shows his visible frustration, but he's not like constantly trying to call her and, you know, get her back on the phone. He lets her have that space and, uh, you know, backs off a little. And that is a narrative thing. So you can like, you know, we get more out of the story for like the, uh, sure. you know, the baby side and the construction plans. But, you know, that is something that also happens. I feel like that kind of points to, you know, he knows he made a mistake. He's he made a fault, but he is doing, you know, everything he can on all fronts to try and make the best of what he's done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm going to trust you guys on this because y'all have probably seen it more than me. Um, Cause again, like I was saying, it, it is sort of refreshing to see this sort of story that we've seen in a lot of different films. Uh, I can't think of any right now, but the story of, you know, someone having an affair and having to, again, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Otis has been, I don't know what's been wrong with him lately. Um, But someone who's had an affair and, you know, maybe they're keeping it a secret or maybe they're owning up to it, but not like this. And that is something refreshing that I really liked is that, that he is owning up to it. And like Zach and Alex, what y'all are saying, you know, about him, you know, he's he's trying to help Katrina understand, but also he's not trying to essentially force her to uh just be okay with it. You know, he he, you know, when he explains to her, like, I I, I know this is a mistake. It was the only mistake I've ever made in 15 years. I understand like how you feel. So I, maybe I need to give it another watch through and see if maybe I can come to the same conclusion that think, he is a good I, person. I think so, because like, I'm not even sure that the, that the narrative is even trying to ask, ask that question or waiting for an answer for that question. I think it's just, you know, showing um, a man's struggle with trying to keep his life together while sticking to specific principles and trying to stick to his honesty, right? In mm-hmm. in a moment where he was dishonest, he's trying to fix it. What I also like, um, what Zach brought up is that what Stephen Knight has done here is everything. everything is about the core the the core and the heart of the film which is the the soccer match football match or the the construction all of that isn't filler like it all matters right um the, you know i'm still like you right i am trying to make sense of because you know the the construction stuff is sort of like what Zach was saying you know it's it's symbolic of him trying to hold things together without it collapsing all over him. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. the, the football match I know is important and I know that the specific player they are talking about matters so much. And that is sort of a, a, a stand in for Ivan and his character as well. Have I figured that out yet? Not really. Um, if either of you guys have, that would be wonderful. Um, because I know what matters and I know that him being labeled as a donkey 
and like a buffoon, but him stepping up and, you know, um, helping win the match matters, you know, Mm -hmm. all of it does. And Mm -hmm. this is, I mean, this is peak Steven Knight right here. All right. This is when he is so good. Yeah. Who's that? I would say the uh, the soccer or the football player. Uh, you know he, he's correlated with Ivan himself because, you know, throughout the whole thing we get, you know, Ivan would never act like this. You know, he, he, this sort of thing wouldn't happen to him. You know, he's gone ten, maybe nine years um, at this company, and you know, never has anything done done anything wrong, except for this one time. So, and it's the same thing with that soccer player. You know, they always say he's a donkey. He never does anything right uh, any other time except for this one time. So it's kind of, you know, like mirror images of each other, I guess. One is usually really good, and then they have a bad day. And one's usually really bad, and then they have a great day. Yeah. 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 And. And to your point, Jeremy, that everything is important. Like I'm sitting here kind of re kind of re focusing on the the three storylines, essentially the, the the construction, the match and the baby. And it all kind of in a way correlates again to like Zach's point about, you know, even down to the type of concrete that the whole building could fall over. You know, it's, it is interesting how these three things seem separate, but also kind of are metaphors of almost each other in a way. Well, and you know, it's hard this first go around, right? Because I Mm. remember my first time watching it, I was waiting for something to, to either happen or really I was waiting for something not to happen. Meaning I was wondering if like, I don't know, I was waiting for some sort of weird twist in a way, like him not really going to see Bethan and him going somewhere else really, you know, or I was waiting for, you know, I don't know, something, uh, because I've been, I had been trained or I guess, you know, with the movies I like to watch, if it's, if it's a unique setup like this is, and it's shot in this very unconventional way, and we're focusing on just one live person, right? I'm thinking there's going to be just one more thing that's going to set it over the top, and it be this either fantastical thing, or it's going in a completely different direction. They're going to subvert my expectations or something. So that first go around, I understand why you're sort of like, what do I need to be focusing on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at least for me. And I think once you understand, okay, all of this is legitimate. This is not, you know, this isn't, you know, some sort of weird avant-garde or surrealist thing. Um, It's just this story shot in an unconventional way. Then you can start dissecting the, okay, well, why, why tell the story in this way? Why have, why have Ivan called everybody? Right. Um, while we were watching it, Haley was like, you know, that's me when I drive home. Cause I'm just constantly calling people when I drive home from work <laughs> and that made me laugh. Um, 
but yeah, it's it, it's a really interesting way to tell this story as it's, I guess, you know, conventional as it ended up being from my expectations the first go around. Um, it ends up being an unconventional story in in just Ivan's character alone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to give this another rewatch. Uh, but I mean, I really loved how, even though I'm struggling with, with the Ivan's actual character, uh, I do love that everything is so almost pinpoint accurate, you know, of, well, not accurate. It's it's laser focused on on telling the story, especially when, you know, he's told by Gareth that they're letting him go and he's still like, nope, well, I'm going to make sure that that building is ready to go. Like, I'm not trying to get my job back. I'm just going to make sure that it's ready to go. And then, you know, trying to reassure Bethan that everything's going to be fine. Um, and, you know, then trying to, you know, work things out with Katrina and and so I do I do like that everything is so laser focused on each part of the story. I kind of want just, I, I want Zach and and Alex to weigh in on this. Um that yes Ivan is trying to right wrongs, right? But in this in the way he's doing this, there's a moment and it's very early on where uh Bethan asks Ivan if he loves her and he he just flat out says well no of course not why yeah. why would we we don't know each other right he's so earnest and so blunt you know um and i mean again and that's who he is right but i, I wanted some thoughts on just his just the way he communicates with people because he is very earnest and very blunt Oh yeah, he's he's on the spectrum for sure. <laughs> but I don't know why you're laughing. It's a, an actual thing. But. Yeah, I'm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I I feel like he kind of might have to be, you know, that blunt, especially with her, because you know. But I mean, I mean, you know, at this point, you know. He says in the whole movie, you know, everything is, you know, nothing's a joke anymore. Everything is entirely real. But, you know, the guy, this man doesn't know this woman. They worked together and then they, you know, had a one night stand and made a mistake and didn't even see each other until, you know, I guess now. But, you know, I think he kind of needs to be because you know I feel like in that previous phone call of the first time she let him know she was probably already you know was talking like that to begin with so I think this time he was like ready for it to be like shutting it down immediately yeah I agree I think he's just um, part of who he is too like it's just kind of um, he's a real, 
you know, like I, I imagine this, I mean, he, he knows everything that's going on with the poor. Um, he knows like the exact weights, like he knows every page that has, you know, the details, like this is just a guy who is very systematic and, um, I think, you know, I know, I know several people like that, very, very type A and, uh, for them, even just like his response to Katrina, he's like, I need the next practical step to take. Like, we just mm-hmm. need to find the next practical steps. And it's like, uh, you know, so uh, someone, it's like, I don't know if that's the right thing to say, man. Like, <laughs> you don't, um, yeah. and, and, and same with like Beth and, you know, I mean, I absolutely understand what he means. Like for sure. It's like, yeah, y'all, y'all had this one night, y'all were both probably, you know, drunk, you know, a couple bottles of wine in you. Um, and then you've just kind of, yeah, it seems like there's not really any interaction until that day when she must've been sending messages about, you know, he got the messages and then he calls and says, I've seen it. And, and so I think a lot of it too, is just, this is, um, how he is as, as a person, like he, uh, is very systematic about things. And so, um, you know, those kind of people that kind of just have their system and they just go through it. And, uh, it does come off as a, a bit rough, I feel like for sure. Um, uh, which can be another conflicting thing as, as somebody listening in on all these conversations, um, just on the, you know, you think about it and it's like, I don't know if that's the most empathetic response. Um, and like yeah, maybe some of that is, that you yeah. Um, it's like you are getting lost and trying to keep all of this up. And then also to bring up what Jeremy said earlier about his childhood trauma, I think that plays so much into it too, because he's, he's, he's just trying, you know, his whole life, it seems like he, he took a lot of pride in not being like his dad. And now all of a sudden he's confronted with the exact same challenge. And, uh, you know, it's like you, he hasn't been probably dealing with that in the most proper way um, and working through whatever it is that he feels like his dad, like, um, you know, just whatever mentor, emotional uh, trauma was there, he probably hasn't dealt with, right? Because we also see that Ivan's pretty, um, he just keeps everything compartmentalized. He's not He's pretty calm throughout all of this, you know, um, like there's not ever really any, I guess with Donald a little bit, but I, you can understand he's, every time he's talking to him, he's had another can of cider. Um, and so, you know, but he stays, you know, pretty, pretty neutral throughout all of it. And, um, yeah, so for me, that's a, a, that's a part of of who he is. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but I just kind of took it as, this is really kind of how, how he is. And, um, once I realized that it was. Just started, that was just a part of it, of thinking, oh, okay, so this is another driving force and why he is the way that he is. Um, and kind of, you know, a, a, his foundation was kind of built on, on what his dad, on how his dad abandoned him and was, you know, all these he's a ter- apparently a terrible person you know, all the things that he says to him. Um, and so I think that's another factor into, uh, creating this man now that, um, is very successful at work. It seems like right. Doing the super, the biggest poor in Europe outside of military and whatever else, uh, 
yeah, has a nice car, uh, family kids. I mean, it just super successful guy. It, it seems like a really successful guy, um, uh, pays attention to detail. And yeah, I think, uh, his father abandoning him plays a lot into some of his coldness as well. Um, as much as Ivan probably wouldn't want to admit it. Um, but I think he's confronted with that now in this moment. And that's why there's some of that kind of coldness that it seems like he has. Yeah. Do you guys think that he uh, talked to his dad before this incident? I think that was a regular thing of, you know, something going wrong with his life. He, you know, takes out his frustration on, you know, basically to him, the cause to all of his problems in life and father that wasn't even there. That's a good question. Yeah, because it seems like, I don't know, during these these moments that he is speaking to his dad, I don't know, it seems like I can go either way that he has either done this before or he is so overwhelmed with with all of these things that are going on in his life at that moment that he's sort of seeking an outlet and he's, and he's looking for, you know, someone to, someone to explain everything to. Right. And he's choosing his father in that moment to, to almost tell himself that things are different. I'm different. Um, this will not end up the same way as, as my father. Right. I think that perhaps in that moment, he's just looking for, um, for self-validation. I think, um, whether or not he's done it before, I don't know. I think maybe it seems that, um, that no, that this is one of the only times because he does. I would assume that he wouldn't like to think about his father too much, but in this moment, he's looking for the self validation and 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 um, seeing that showing that he is different. And I did want to ask a question with you guys that I I think it might seem like it doesn't matter, but I think it does matter a lot, at least in 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 this performance. What did you guys think of Tom Hardy's voice in in this performance? Because it's so unique and it's not the way he talks normally, right? This isn't the way that Tom Hardy speaks in real life. So what do you think that choice meant? Go ahead. I mean, it's like a Welsh accent that he does. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he is... I don't know, because, you know, the, the the voice he's doing, it's, you know, it's a little posh. It's kind of like a refined, mm-hmm. you know, like. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I feel like his pattern of speech is definitely, you know, maybe he grew up a little poor because, you know, he didn't have a dad. So he kind of projects that air, you know, in the way he speaks to compensate for how he felt when he was younger. But. You know, the accent he chose, I feel like, you know, really helps lend itself to that because it's not some, you know, I'm from Birmingham kind of accent. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, 
all that kept coming into my brain was the interview he did the the wired autocomplete interview with Andy Circus and one of the questions was how did he come up with the the voice of Bane and he's talking about this bare knuckle boxer and like my brain kept going back to that cuz it the accent cuz he gives kind of like an example in that interview and the accents were eerily similar i mean in in this in this film it's a, it seems like it's a little just higher pitched um but for me it was almost like he chose this accent to make ivan seem a little bit more maybe what what we were talking about earlier maybe to make him seem a little bit more calm or maybe a little bit more distant that his accent is doesn't really match his body type maybe um i did think it was an interesting choice uh cuz yeah his, you know tom hardy's actual speaking voice is a little bit more a little lower and a little bit more gravelly but yeah i don't know well you know the reason i ask is that it is a choice right and so um I don't think that like if he had done his, his normal speaking voice, I don't know how much it would have changed the performance, but I know it would have, right. It would have, hmm. it would have given us a different, um, a, a different perspective of who Locke is. Right. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I think the voice is, you're right. It does give a sort of, you know, with its higher pitch, I, I think it maybe makes him a little more mild mannered, a little more reserved, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And it also just might be my ignorance. And his character is from a certain place in the UK where that's their accent, right? I don't know, right? I know he's driving to London, but it takes him an hour and a half to get there. And I have recently found that people who live in the UK. And in England, um, they're they're upset if something is forty five minutes away, right? They're like, "Oh my god, that's so far!" <laughs> right? Where us, it's like it's a six hour drive, and they're like, "What did you like stop somewhere and stay overnight?" It's like, no, uh, <laughs> you know. So, meaning yeah. the that accents probably do vary a great deal, even though it's not that much of a distance, right? So it could be that also. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it used to be more of a distance and you can only walk places and not drive. Right. So, um, so yeah. Um, maybe it doesn't mean anything. I don't know, but I, I do know that he made the choice for some reason. Right. Um, and I agree. I think, you know, especially if you look at someone like Tom now and his, uh, just at everything like he, his his tone and and you know from whether it's like tinker taylor or lawless um you just work through like everything warrior um he is such a vocal uh act, obviously bane such a vocal actor um in, in a lot of his roles and like that is very important to who he sets up to be you know it's like um with any of those things, it always is like very intentional and 
yeah, for whatever reason, whether it's he's from a Welsh area or it was just to match the manner of who Ivan is as a character. Yeah, I think it definitely helps to portray him as somebody that's, you know, kind of calm or because, you know, just imagine if he had like Tommy's voice, you know, from the warrior or something, or it's like, it just like would be this guy that's just got a lot of edginess and like just real pungent. Like you just, uh, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same. Um, and so I agree that it's, it was an intentional choice, whether that's Tom and, and Steven working through that or leaving it up to Tom Hardy himself. Um, cause I think it would change, um, maybe how we would feel about Ivan, you know, if he was a little bit more rough or whatever, um, you know, it'd be probably easier to see him as this jerk that, you know, doesn't understand what he's done or something, but, um, yeah, no, I think it, it plays in well to his character, uh, the decision to go with whatever accent, I guess Alex had a, a Welsh, a Welsh accent. Also, I just looked it up because I was curious. Um, getting from Birmingham to London is actually two and a half hours long. So that means he was flying. He's going 80 miles an hour. Yeah, he said the man 90. Follows, the man follows traffic laws. <laughs> he said so. Well, and I think, uh, I think in the UK, they don't have a speed limit. Oh, um, that's, that's I think. I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they do. <laughs> When they have to, but yeah, but yeah, it's it, yeah. I looked it up. My coworker is English. I'll ask him tomorrow. Thank you. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Delve deep. But yeah, um, yeah. Have, I mean, I, guys, I agree. Oh, go have ahead, you Alex. Seen the, sorry, I just wanted to say, have you guys ever seen the, the behind the scenes of the like the rig they had for the car? Uh, no, you I should look it up because it's really cool. Because you know you can't drive a vehicle right. you know and focus on your performance so the car is just on a trailer mm -hmm. and they have it like you know three cameras rigged up at a time and they crawl control and remote controlly like in a truck that's pulling the trailer down the highway so you know all the cars driving by him that's in real time he's not really driving but right. you know. <gasps> he's not no it's this thing called acting <laughs> I, I can teach you how to do it one day. It's which brings up a good um a a good point about just the subtlety of acting because like you're right, he is being pulled on a trailer. That much I know. Um but it's some of the best driving acting. You know, he's not jerking the wheel around, you know, like some sort of maniac. Yeah. Um But you know, I was wondering about the camera rigs, if we want to get to the technical aspect of the film, because you know, there are those moments where it almost seems to be handheld, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where the camera's moving in the car. And I assumed in those shots, someone was sitting in the passenger seat with him. But uh, the fact that they're moving them remotely from uh, a trailer, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, because uh, they couldn't, because I thought about that too. I was like, you know, how are they doing this? You know? Mm -hmm. um, because then I, I remembered our Children of Men episode. I was like, no, they didn't. They didn't cut a hole in the roof and put the camera in there. So how that. are they That's doing this? Similar, very similar uh, 
approach to it. You know, in this in that same movie, they same have the, you know, that's typically how they do it. Unless you're like pretty low budget, then you just have uh, the actors risk their lives for the picture. <laughs> right, Tom. I, say, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Get on the get on the highway. We'll film it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he should have a lot of practice now with this movie and then Mad, uh, Mad Max. He drives a lot. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, y- y'all didn't know this, but Mad Max was actually on my list for the season. I changed it um, for a very special movie, but it would have been funny had I kept Mad Maxes and that would have been two Tom Hardy movies in one <laughs> season driving. of him driving. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, speaking of the technical aspect of this, kind of to go back to this, not necessarily the story, but I feel like the other kind of character in the film is his car. You know, I, I feel like maybe that was just me, but I feel like the car obviously plays an important role because it's going to get him from Birmingham to London. But it, it's almost like it's a living, breathing thing that Stephen Knight is trying to show us. You're you're right, because not once did I really think about the car in a in a commercially way like there's the mm-hmm. listen i loved the movie but there there's that scene in barbie that i cannot stand that is a commercial for the car and i cannot stand it, right it completely takes you out of the movie and because it's a commercial it's a car commercial right um literally I, shot the same way too i don't remember what car it was so it's a bad commercial it's it's some kind of like ford don't say i think um, i don't know dude but, a but this is shot it's it's almost like this is this is his tool this is what he's using for communication and you know and obviously transportation but i never thought of it as a commercial for bmw right um and it's it takes a really special talent to not make it super flashy and you know like a, it's just it's just utilizing the space that he's in it it's not really you know the space specifically but just the the way he's using the space and he's in the space now why do you think though steven knight established that he was driving in a bmw then that's a great question i think it's he likes bmw i guess he likes BMWs. (laughs) well it also may establish that where you may think to I mean, look at him in the beginning, you might think he's some sort of low-level blue-collar worker. He isn't, right? Because he drives mm, this really fancy yeah. car. He's the he's the foreman, right? You know, he has like the most important job at a construction site. So it would make sense that he's driving the most, you know, expensive car that you know, probably probably work paid for it, honestly. And. Oh, and honestly, I think I just answered my own question. I think to also establish that he's he's well off, you know. He's got a nice car, a good job, and a good family. Or just that he's successful and that yeah. he's 
proud of his success, right? If he wasn't mm. proud of his success, he wouldn't spend his money on such a luxurious item like a BMW hatchback. <laughs> a 99 uh, Honda Civic. Right. <laughs> I was going to say something, and, and then that, Might that as well. killed me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't remember what it was now. Oh, was, nice. that was really funny. <laughs> oh, Listen, God. The, whole, the whole vibe of the movie is the most awkward Uber ride you could ever be in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, essentially what it feels, like, you know, you're sitting in the back seat at a time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can't imagine. Oh, man. Now, I mean, um, since we're on sort of like the 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 film, the film as a film itself, um, Tom Hardy agreed to do this um, so Stephen Knight would work on Taboo with him and his dad. Um, yeah, Chips. Yeah, Chips Hardy. By the way, coolest name ever. <laughs> yeah. um, so without without this, we wouldn't have Taboo, which is probably one of the. My, one of my favorite Tom Hardy projects uh, that he's done. Fantastic! Oh, it's so good. Um, Rain, if you have not, you need to immediately. Uh, I I started it because okay. I want to say you told you told me about it, and I started it, and then I just I'm never sure. got around to finishing it. Mm. I mean, now that I've finally finished the Bear, I have been sort of on an FX kick. You know, I finished Dave, and then I finished the Bear. Uh, so I mean, Taboo's still on the list. There you go. Perfect. Uh, I'll just have to find time to watch it in between rewatching Daredevil because now that Daredevil Daredevil is a MCU continuity, I've been rewatching that. Um. Okay. Uh, is there anything else anyone would like to talk about that we maybe that someone else hasn't brought up? Looking over my notes. No, um, I think I teased last week um, just talking about Stephen Knight's filmography and the Uh ebbs and flows because I thought it was interesting because this is obviously so good, right? Um, Eastern Promises is so good. Peaky Blinders is so good, right? Uh, But then he'll do something like Serenity, which I think is really interesting, (laughs) you know? I will say it's ambitious, right? He really swings, right? Uh, he also created the the Jason Momoa show uh, C, which I, I I haven't seen. Really, on Apple TV. Yeah, uh, he wrote Spencer, um, the uh, the Princess Diana film um, with Kristen Stewart. Um, you know, he did um, Girl in the Spider's Web. Um with oh man what is her name sorry claire foy yes uh he did that which isn't which wasn't received very well um uh, i'm sorry i'm also looking uh the seventh son um oh yeah i told you about that last week that uh okay yeah it's just on the trailer alone he's he's just you know he's either on his game right or it or just misses the mark you know um, uh-huh. 
which I guess is average, I suppose. Um, I probably didn't even need to bring it up, but I thought it was interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I recommend going through his his writer filmography, uh, just so you can see all the stuff because he's very prevalent in, um, in filmmaking and in film writing in general. Um, you'll see some of the stuff and you'll go, really, the the FX remake of a Christmas Carol, yeah, you know. Um, uh, in the industry, we call that uh, Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah, you start really good, and then you just go back, and then you get kind of good, and then you just go back, and then you get really good, and then you just absolute shit. So. Yeah. So we'll see uh, what's to come of him. Um, coming up, I know he's working on the Peaky Blinders movie, um, which is set to shoot this year. So I really got to get on finishing that. <laughs> I know Zach and uh, his wife Kinsley have really been hounding me about it, so I need to get on it. So. Um, yeah. Um, well, I need to watch it, period. As, oh. I, I need to add that to the list as well. Uh, just more things to watch. Um, your job. <laughs> yeah, but then how will I pay for all these shows to watch? I don't know. Sell your body. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Right before you said it, I thought I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I could sell my body. There you go. Same <laughs> wavelength, you two. <laughs> that means it's a good uh, idea. <laughs> Everyone should take a lesson from that. If you and one of your uh, best friends have the same idea, then it's obviously a good idea. It's fate at that point. <laughs> yeah. Guys. Oh man. You guys did awesome. We, we can't thank you enough for being on. Um, thank, and talking about rap. lock, which is an amazing film. And I'm so happy that you guys shared in that sentiment and were able to, you know, break it down with us. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, absolutely yeah. guys. Uh, this was interesting having two separate guests this time instead of just one. Uh, Breaking well, new yeah. Well, and Jeremy, they get to be on uh, when I announce what we're doing next week, which is exciting. So go ahead. Uh, yeah. So I thought really long and hard about this because you know sure. we're getting we're getting close to the end of the season, and mm-hmm. I I was like, man, what do I want to do? Because I only have. Uh, three choices left and the answer was given for me uh to celebrate i mean even though it's going to be way past due but it's on the forefront of my brain right now to to celebrate his birthday next week we will be doing david lynch's lost highway cool a very daunting uh, task thanks (laughs) Well, yeah, I didn't want to do it too close to fire walk with me and uh, and it's it's in it's one of two movies I still haven't seen on my list. So, and again, he just had a birthday. So why not? Why not? Why not? not? Fire. No, fire. Um, What was it? Lost Highway. Yeah. Lost Highway. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, everyone, uh, even though we have our two listeners on the show, uh, we hope everyone <laughs> enjoyed Locke. And we will see everyone next week for Lost Highway. <laughs>